I do think what we see in these resolutions is commitment and conviction. And those two things, in addition to the capacities and the gifts that God gave him, were things that really contributed to Jonathan Edwards becoming Jonathan Edwards. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. Welcome to Outstanding, and this is the place where we have critical conversations about the news of the day and the ideas that shape us. I'm your host, Joseph Backholm, and Happy New Year. This is the first show of 2024. So glad that you are with us. And we are always here having conversations about how to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And because it's a new year, today we're going to take every thought captive about New Year's resolutions captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, there's this old Chinese proverb says something like, the best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago or right now. And in the same way, every day is a really good day to get better, to start better habits, uh, to break bad habits that you know, know that you have. But we also realize that New Year seems to be a common time for people to reflect on the things in their lives that need to change. And very often, we resolve to be better in the year to come than we were in the year that was. Though I won't try to talk you out of that resolution to learn a new language or get a six-pack we think you might find some inspiration in the 70 resolutions made by Jonathan Edwards way back in 1723. Now, before Jonathan Edwards became one of the most influential theologians and pastors in American history, he was a young man trying to find God's will for his life. And there's no doubt that his commitment to lifelong sanctification, as evidenced by these resolutions, played a significant role in the way God used him in his life. And joining me today to be our tour guide through the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards is Dr. Stephen Nichols. He's the president of Reformation Bible College. He's also a chief academic officer for Ligonier Ministries and a Ligonier Ministries teaching fellow. He is the host of his own podcast, Five Minutes in Church History, and the author of several books, including appropriately for today, books on Jonathan Edwards. Dr. Nichols, thanks for taking the time today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Enjoy the subject very much, Jonathan Edwards, and so I look forward to talking about him with you. Well, and before we get to the resolutions, let's uh, do talk about him a bit more. Um, remind us why Jonathan Edwards matters so much in uh, the story of the church and also our country. So we'll let the Encyclopedia Britannica set the stage for us here. It, it once referred to Edwards as the most brilliant philosopher, didn't even call him a theologian, but the most brilliant philosopher ever born on American soil. Uh, he was indeed a colonial New England minister. Uh, he was born in 1703 into a family of ministers. His father was Timothy Edwards, Harvard trained and pastor for uh, five decades of a congregational church and this is the home into which Edwards grew up. When he came of age, he went to Yale, and he too became a congregational minister uh, at uh, Northampton Church in Massachusetts, a uh, church that was probably the second largest church in the colonies at that time. Um, a few years after he was installed as minister there, there was a revival in what was called the Connecticut River Valley. And that revival really foreshadowed what was one of the most significant events in colonial American history, the Great Awakening. And this is the preaching of George Whitfield with his transatlantic trips, and also the preaching of Jonathan 
Edwards. If, if anybody knows anything about Edwards, it's his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's anthologized in American literature and history textbooks, read by high school students uh, around the country uh, for decades. And of course, that was a sermon that was uh, full of vivid imagery and powerful, preached uh, in the Great Awakening. And really, Edwards was established as uh, just a brilliant preacher. Also went on to write a number of significant books, religious affections, uh, heavy-duty theological books like his Freedom of the Will. Um, and at the very end of his life, uh, he served as a missionary to the Stockbridge Native Americans there in Western Mass, which is very fascinating. Um, this is the Mohicans and Mohawks. And then for the last months of his life in 1758, he was president of Princeton University and uh, took a smallpox inoculation and had an adverse reaction to it and he died so 1703 to 1758 uh the minister theologian philosopher jonathan edwards well it's interesting that you highlight there sinners in the hands of an angry god and the fact that that was read in schools and today that has been replaced by uh what's a sinner and uh if there's a god all he wants is for you to be happy and so the idea that our high school students were once reading sinners in the hands of an angry god is certainly evidence of the fact that time has changed um but we're going to get into the 70 resolutions that he made yes but before he made these resolutions and again the timeline of this is important because i believe he was 19 or 20 years old when he wrote these and as you read yes. through them, and I'm going to encourage everybody because there's 70 of them. We aren't going to touch on all of them today. We don't have time for that. But the beauty of the internet makes them easily accessible to all of us. And as you read through them, uh, recognizing that this is a 19, 20-year-old young man uh, who has thought very deeply about uh, the issues of life and what is important to him and, and the kind of person that he wants to be. But even before he lists his resolutions, he... Um, he has a preface, maybe a preamble, if that's the right word. And I want to discuss that because it um, kind of makes an important point before the resolution. And I'll just read it here and, and then we'll discuss it. He says, quote, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Now, Dr. Nichols, why is that an important uh, thing to get right before you resolve to do anything? Yeah, I, I think I'm so glad you highlighted uh, this preface because I think it's really key to it. You know, it's easy with these resolutions uh, to slip into um, almost sort of a striving after self-righteousness or a moralism. Um, I, I like to contrast them. You know, Ben Franklin Another significant colonial figure, uh, he too wrote resolutions. And so I, I think it's great you encourage your uh, listeners here to read Edward's resolutions. If you read them alongside Franklin's resolutions, you see why that preface is so important. Uh, and I think a lot of the resolutions that we make today, we, we they tend to be, again, either that self-righteous or moralism or sort of... Um, dig deep within and uh, grit and determination, white knuckle myself to a better person. Edward says, hold on, let's get something straight here. I am unable to do anything without God's help. 
this is such a Puritan sensibility. Uh, their reflex is God is great. I'm not. God is omnipotent. I'm weak. Uh, God is the only independent creature in the world. I am a dependent, contingent being. And I have to start there. Uh, and then he uses the word humbly. You know, that posture of recognizing dependence is humility. And so we come at these things with humility. And then he appeals to God's grace, which enables him and strengthens him. And then I love this one too. So I'm going to make these resolutions, he says, and I'm going to make them to the best of my ability and discernment. But then he adds this caveat, so far as they are agreeable to God's will. So what if one of these resolutions is actually not good for me (laughs) or contrary uh, to what's good for me? Then he's basically saying God's not going to enable me to do it. So there's just a great posture of humility and dependence and submission here. And then don't miss the final three words, for Christ's sake. This isn't, you know, for me to be a better person. Like like at the end of the day, all of Franklin's resolutions, for instance, what's the goal is prosperity, that I am a prosperous person. Well, that's a good thing. Like we're happy for American prosperity. We're happy that our founders cared about prosperity. We're, We're happy that they wanted to entice and incentivize prosperity. But Edwards recognizes in the end of the day, there's something more ultimate I live for. So all that's bound up in the preface, and I love it. So as we all consider our own resolutions and how we want the year to come to be different than the year in the past, is that one of the critical questions to ask is whether I want to make these change for myself or because, you know, God's greater glory? Right. And, and this is, again, it's a, it's a great Puritan impulse that if, if we understand who God is, then we do live for his glory. And, you know, there are things in here, Edwards does talk about uh, eating and drinking with moderation, right? How many of us make New Year's resolutions to, to shed a few pounds? <laughs> so, you know, he cares about the body and uh, he'll talk about, uh, often talk about the fact that we are beings of soul and body. And so it's okay to care about the body. Uh, His form of exercise was horseback riding. So he didn't make resolutions to go to the gym more. um, But he he did resolve, uh, you know, to to stay horseback riding. Horseback riding and chopping wood was the colonial version of going to the gym. And uh, Edwards kept up with those things. In your discussion of the preface there, he 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 discusses the fact that it's possible to make a resolution that is actually contrary to God's will. Yeah. How does that materialize and how do we recognize if we might be at risk of doing that ourselves right now? So I think some of this has to do with the context he's in. You referenced that he's 19 going on 20 years old. He also is at an interesting moment in his life. Uh, he completed his bachelor's degree by now. And he's completed his master's coursework at Yale, but he's yet to write his thesis. And he actually gets invited out of colonial New England down to New York City to pastor a church. And the church was a split off of what was the Presbyterian Church that today is the first Presbyterian Church, Wall Street, Broad Street area. So this was a split, and the split met by the docks 
of New York City. So you take Edwards, who grew up in a very rural New England town. And as a 19-year-old, you put him in New York City. Now, it's nothing like today, but comparatively, it would have been an interesting, he would have been out of his environment. So he's 19 years old. He's in a brand new environment. He's actually not sure, I think, what he wants to do with his life. He's not necessarily committed to being a pastor at this point. He's actually, the first thing he wrote had to do with the flying spider and it a great intellect. And there were some that think that Edwards wanted to be an academic and maybe even pursue science. So you're dealing with a person who's very gifted, um, has a lot in front of them, and really doesn't know what God's plan is for their life for the future. And rather than be presumptive, I think what he wants to do is be cautious and really look to God, not only as he does these things that are more aimed at his personal character, but not sort of get out ahead of his skis, so to speak, and be presumptive about what God wants him to do or what his life is going to look like. So he's sort of checking himself, I think, with that to wait on God and be patient. I mean, that's hard for all of us, but it's especially hard for a 19-year-old <laughs> who has a lot going on capacity-wise and wants to just get at it. Um, so I think that's sort of what, I think that might be what's going on with Edwards here in the preface. Yeah. It's evidence of one of the themes that I feel like I pick up as I read through them all, and that is just humility and just this mm -hmm. genuine sense that he's not seeking primarily his own interests or his own will. And uh, that certainly served him well in his life. Dr. Nichols, do you have favorites when you read through this I list? Do. I mean, that you have yes. adapted, tell us. Well, I'm not sure I've adapted them. I've tried, but I would say I do have favorites. <laughs> so interestingly, he strings three together, 28, 29, and 30. And 28 is that he grows in his knowledge of scripture. So that's a great resolution. I'm, I'm going to study scripture more. I'm going to read scripture more. And at the end of the year, I'm going to grow my knowledge of scripture. 29 is prayer. So I'm going to grow in my life of prayer. And then 30 is uh, resolved to a higher exercise of grace than a week before, which is to say grow in grace. And, you know, in the Reformed tradition, we speak of the means of grace as being preaching in the sacrament. And that's in a narrow sense. In a broader sense, in the Reformed tradition, we speak of prayer as a means of grace. And so what Edwards is saying here, these means of grace of God's word and prayer, I want to commit myself to. And so, yeah, it's very interesting because we tend to think of, you know, like weight loss and exercise and better at my job or better at interpersonal relationships. He wants to also get at those key elements of what we would call sanctification, and commit to growing in his knowledge of scripture, growing in his prayer life, so that he knows that's what God has promised to bless, so that he will grow in grace, which is to say, sanctification. And then my other one uh, that I really enjoy is number 36. So this one he says, resolved never to speak evil of any. I think, well, we all want to aspire to that. But then he adds, except I have some particular good call for it. <laughs> and I don't know why. I've, I, that's probably my favorite because I love that additional. But 
you know, there might be a case where it's needed. And um, wisdom, of course, tells us when we do and when we don't. But pretty insightful for a 19-year-old. Yeah, well, to be sure, there are moments where you have to speak the truth about somebody in order to protect other people. And uh, that is a wise qualifier that it's not that I will never uh, say the truth about someone's character. I just won't do so for malicious or vengeful or, you know, retributive purposes. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Like it, it would seem more pious to just end the sentence with never to speak evil of any, and then we would admire him as this pious person. But sometimes in the service of truth, we have to speak the truth. And uh, that's what Edwards is talking about there. Edwards himself did not break these resolutions down into categories, but I've seen other people do that and and kind of try to lump them together and organize them in some sense. And the categories that have been made for him, I think, are also instructive into what was important to him and how he was thinking about it. And I also think it provides some guidance to us as we consider the resolutions and the changes and, frankly, the areas of our lives that we need to be aware of and mindful of. He has one category um, of good works, that these, you know, how I'm going to behave. Then there's also basically a group that deal with time management, the way I'm going to spend my time. And then he deals with relationships and how I'm going to treat people and the kind of people I want to be with. And then there's this whole category dealing with suffering, how I'm going to respond when things are terrible in my life, which I find to be so wise um, because it's this awareness that he clearly lived with, that there are going to be days when things are not going the way I want them to, when there are going to be seasons when things are difficult, and I'm anticipating how I'm going to respond to those things now rather than just reacting in that moment. Then there's kind of this... A broader category of character resolutions, and then spiritual life. And you've mentioned some of those already. Uh, The spiritual life of studying scripture, uh, the spiritual disciplines of prayer, um, and and the the observances of the Sabbath for him, to be sure, and just the, the, the routine of the Christian life. Why were those the things that he was focused on when, again, as we've mentioned, I mean, most of us are joining a gym, maybe going to read a couple more books, you know. What's the difference right. in the way he was thinking about life than the way many of us today are inclined to? Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think he had a, a good sense of self-awareness. So you mentioned the interpersonal relationships. And um, he was very tall. He, he was six foot, which was um, abnormally tall in the colonial era. Uh, sort of George Washington was the same thing, right? They speak of him as being tall. And I think he was self-conscious of it. He was also very smart. Um, and it, 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 he tended to be, like, he, he. one of the resolutions is that when he's at parties or gatherings, basically not to be a wallflower, but to engage with people. And so I think all of his interpersonal relationship resolutions, he recognizes that he's got, we might call shy disposition, but he wants to work on that. Um, so it's a self-awareness thing. I think he feels uh, like everyone does when they're young. I want to make the most of my life. And so now we have the time management. And there's a lot of them 
where he'll say, you know, I really want to get, I want to live my life in such a way that when I get to the end of it, I don't have regrets. Well, that's, that's like mega time management uh, resolution um, that he's talking about. And then, you know, we think about when you look at the book of James and what is such a crucial piece of our sanctification is our speech. And Edwards is aware of that. So he wants to make a lot that have to do with speech. So, uh, you know, it, you, you begin to look at these categories and themes of you said, and there, you know, he doesn't do five under this and then five there, but through the 70, themes do emerge. Um, and I, I think it stems from, which which we all need to be better at, true self-awareness. <laughs> and then, okay, let's let's commit to improvement. Uh, in those areas. And I'm frankly going to go through with my kids, just these categories and in just the mindfulness associated with, okay, how do I want to behave? How am I going to manage my time? Uh, how do I want to treat the people in my life? Who are the people I'm going to get closer to? Who are the people I'm going to get further away from, maybe on purpose uh, for, for discipleship purposes? The suffering category when things don't go well, what is my response going to be to that? And how am I going to make sure I'm speeding my spiritual life? I just think reflecting on each of these questions um, is a great habit as a Christian. And frankly, that's one of his resolutions that he makes is also to just spend every night thinking, Reflecting did I do one. as well today as as, <laughs> exactly. I, as I as I could have done? And the answer to that, of course, is always going to be no. But uh, at the risk of like, um, you know, of uh, deifying him too much in these resolutions. There's one I want to quibble with maybe and with you. Sure. Um, number 38, he says, resolved never to speak anything that is ridiculous, sportive, or a matter of <laughs> laughter on the Lord's day yeah. or the Sabbath evening. Now, um, I think there's some cultural sensibilities that we're dealing with here as well, but uh, is it actually wrong to be funny on the Sabbath? So he is a strict, as the Puritans were, Sabbatarians. Um, you know, the the um, good response to this is, or a, a historical data point on this, is one of the most interesting books, I think, is King James. This is King James I wrote his The Book of Sports. And uh, he wrote that because James, who was, you know, Scottish, would often go through the Cambridge region area from London back up to Scotland. And that was full of Puritans. And he'd travel through on Sundays and he'd see all these kids sitting around not doing anything. And he, he'd ask of his advisors why. And they said, well, they're Puritans and it's the Sabbath. So James wrote the book of sports, which do you remember the president's badge of physical fitness or whatever we had to do in yes. high school with the rope we climb? Do. Yep. Okay, I think I think that was James's book of sports is the presidential badge of okay. physical fitness, where he required sporting. All that to say is the Puritans, and there's some debate of this within the reform community, but certainly within the larger evangelical community of what Sabbath keeping looks like. Edwards's resolution here is reflective of the Puritan, what we would call strict Sabbatarianism. Um I don't think we would we would push it all the way through to say ah there we there we go puritans again gloom and doom not happy people 
um, he's really restricting it to the Sabbath. But I do think, um, like I say, there are differences within the Reformed and evangelical communities over how to interpret the Sabbath. Can, I want to go back to, you know, what you said about suffering. I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. And I do think the colonial world is a little different from our world. We almost feel like we should be immune from it because of our technological advance and our, obviously medicine is so far advanced from 1722, but we are frail and uh, suffering touches us and sometimes we're ill-equipped for it. So I think, I think you're drawing attention to how Edwards looked at it can be just a, and this is what I love about church history. These are these are faithful disciples that we actually have something to learn from uh, as to how they were faithful as disciples. So I, I appreciate that. I didn't want that, that to go unnoticed, uh, the suffering piece. Uh, I think that's helpful. And to highlight one of these, resolution number 10, he says, resolved, when I feel pain, to think of the pains of martyrdom, both of Jesus and of believers around the world, and remind myself of the reality of hell. That was his um, resolution for how to respond. It's like, this is pain. I feel pain, but I'm going to allow this to be a reminder of what Jesus did for me, what martyrs have suffered on behalf of the cross, and then also as a reminder of what hell is like if I wander from Jesus. And that is a, uh, you know, to be sure, easier said than done. But what a discipline that is uh, for, a again, a very young man to just understand what pain and suffering has to teach us. Now, now I, I want to talk a bit about, uh, you know, we just talked about the Sabbath one and kind of the the strict Sabbath perspectives and, and, and the range of kind of convictions there are about how to observe the Sabbath appropriately. But it brings up a larger question to me as I read through this list. A lot of people would read Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions and say, boy, this is really not a very fun guy. He seems very self-righteous. I think he's going to drive himself crazy. And we've heard the stories about Martin Luther actually kind of driving himself crazy, just trying to you know, please God, as Martin Luther certainly fell into that trap. But that's a trap a lot of us kind of have the ability to fall into, where we're so focused on doing the right thing that we drive ourselves crazy. I'm recognizing that perfection is not a real goal. Where is that line between diligence and commitment to the gospel uh, and uh, self-righteousness? So I think we have to see this in the context of the whole um, He's a young man. He's got his life ahead of him, and he's setting goals. And I think we all see that. We also know when we're 19, there's so much as we get to 29, 39, 49, 59, there was so much we didn't know when we were 19. And, uh, you know, it's going to be true of Edwards. Uh, he makes it into his 55th year. But... Uh, what did he learn, you know, and and what is in the corpus, uh, uh, the whole? And clearly for Edwards, it's the the sweetness of Christ, the joy of Christ. Like this is the irony: the person who's known for sinners in the hands of an angry God, the words he uses the most, the the lexicon he uses the most is sweetness, joy, 
happiness. There's even a word I thought he made up, but it turns out it preceded him, happified, <laughs> right? What does it mean to be happified? Yeah. Um, I thought it was his word, but then I saw it in the poetry of Anne Bradstreet, so it wasn't his word. Yeah. Um, so I think in the context of a whole life, it really is recognizing who we are in Christ and what that means. And so ultimately, it's joy and sweetness and pleasure. The problem is, we don't see that either. We, we, we talk about happiness, but the way we talk about happiness and what we think is happiness isn't the joy and pleasure thing. So, so the opposite of Edward's sort of strictness, stiffness is not party culture or entertainment right. culture. Um, but the, the, the counterbalancing weight is, you know, we are complete in Christ, our joy is in Christ, our strength is in Christ, and um, he's our ultimate hope and crown. Um, I think that's the counterweight. And when you, when you look at Edwards as a whole, if, if, all, if all we had of the corpus was the resolutions, then we'd have a certain view of him. But if we put the whole of the corpus of Edwards, now we can say, aha, here, here's the example of faith that he is for us. The other side of this coin where we're concerned about being self-righteous is the temptation toward lethargy and laziness. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid and I've spent a lot of time in my church and there's a lot of like in the church. And, and I've heard a lot of concerns about, well, you're just going to make people self-righteous. You have these rules. You're going to impose these on other people. And to be sure that is a, that is a form of sin. But to my mind, the greater risk in the American Christian context is not towards self-righteousness and pursuing righteousness so vigorously that we are, you know, we, we have become no fun and, and, and we're too, too serious about our faith. But this idea that, well, I don't want to be self-righteous, so I'm not really going to have any rules and I'm just going to associate with people who have kind of no standards. So I always feel fine about myself because really what makes us uncomfortable is if we see somebody like a Jonathan Edwards, it's convicting. If we see that person in our <laughs> yeah, own sure, life, right? Sure it is. It's like, yeah. it's like, well, should I be doing that too? But that I don't know that I want to do that. And so I can just say, oh, well, he's religious and self-righteous, and then kind of justify my own kind of mediocrity. Do you think that's a real risk as well? Oh, it's very insightful. I'm a pastor's kid too. So we got that in common. Uh no, yeah, it would be it's it's sort of easy to look at him and say, oh, he's wrong and dismiss him when really it's just the challenge is sort of there that we don't want to live up to. And yeah, I don't think our problem is that we study the Bible too much and it's a risk to commit ourselves to studying it more. Um, I don't think our problem is that we've dialed in our prayer life and we know exact we've grown in prayer and have wisdom in prayer so we can let off the brakes there i i i think you're exactly right um we're not lacking in these things um we just we are probably naturally inclined to laziness we also we know we're naturally inclined to sinfulness 
And, you know, Edwards talks about that in here, that he really want. I mean, Paul describes it as a war, as a battle, as a struggle. Um, so if sin, remaining sin, is a challenge, uh, we need to be resolved to stand up to the fight. So it's a very good observation. And I think that we should go to great lengths to be around people who at times cause us to consider whether we are not serious enough about our faith. And if there is nobody in our life who is uh, encouraging us by their example to raise the standard and raise the bar in our life, um, that might be its own kind of in indictment. I think we need those people. And and to be sure, um, you know, the, the Christian life is not about you know, doing the right thing and earning God's favor, because that can't be done. But it is a serious pursuit. Sin is real. Hell is real. Uh, the stakes are very high for us and for our family and for our communities. And we need to take those things uh, very, very seriously. And I do think you know, there there can be this temptation that uh, we're just going to be cool by how chill we are about everything. And we're just casual about life. And some things uh, should not be casual. Oh, that we can't be casual about because the stakes are, are so incredibly high. And Dr. Nichols, probably the last question I'm going to have for you, just kind of picking up on this theme. Um, we know the result of Jonathan Edwards' life, and we, we see here part of the foundation that led to that result. And this kind of reminds me of the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel where we see in the first chapter of Daniel, when they get into uh, Babylon, they resolve to be set apart and to live differently than the Babylonians around them. And because of that resolution to be faithful to God, regardless of the environment that they were in, and to live differently, God used them in, in tremendous ways uh, in Babylon. Our people in the American church willing to make those sacrifices, willing to make those commitments, willing to be different, in a way that God can really use? Or are we just trying to be, you know, casual and then just hope God does great things with us anyway? You know, you said so much there that's worth commenting on. Um, one is, you know, my friend Sean Lucas says about Edwards, the resolutions is Jonathan Edwards before he was Jonathan Edwards. And there was a time when Jonathan Edwards was not Jonathan Edwards. And it was when he was a young man. And, I do think what we see in these resolutions is commitment and conviction. And those two things, in addition to the capacities and the gifts that God gave him, were things that really contributed to Jonathan Edwards becoming Jonathan Edwards by the grace of God. And yeah. I think for us too, we're in a moment where just, there's no real value in casual Christianity anymore. You don't really gain anything by it. Um, you're not going to be um, promoted at work for it or appreciated on a college campus for it. Um, so it's a it's a moment where what really is being called for is Christians of commitment and conviction. And I mean, honestly, that's why I love being in higher education, Christian, biblical, theological higher education, because I think the future for the church again, by God's grace, is this upcoming generation being a generation of commitment and conviction. So I think we have a great model here in Edwards. 
Yeah. And, and that is what we're looking for. And, and for those of us who are reflecting and we should be reflecting uh, today and at all times, but in, in the year to come, that really, if we become a church and by becoming a church, we become individuals. And that's the thing that we control, right? We we can lament the church, but this is really the day to think about ourselves and what God is doing in us and not worry about the church, just worry about us and let the church be transformed as we are transformed. So let's take responsibility for the things we have responsibility for, which is me, myself, and I. And as we resolve uh, to be more like Christ, this is a great example and an illustration of these are people who, with joy, took seriously the calling that God had on their life and were willing to live a life that were set apart to live differently and that God uh, did great things as a result of that. And I suspect that's uh, the way it's going to be from now until he takes us all home. Uh, live differently. Be serious about things that matter. Uh, be joyful in all of it because Christ has overcome. And that's how we we accomplish what we hope he accomplishes in us by just doing great things. And we all want to be, you know, leave the world better than we found it. And this is how uh, God uses us to do that. So Dr. Nichols, thank you for your wisdom and for your time today and uh, for your work as well in higher education and discipleship at Reformation Bible College. And, and I know that you're blessing a lot of people by doing that. So thank you so much. My pleasure. It's been great to be with you. And thank you friends for listening in. Once again, it's been our pleasure to be with you. If you have any questions, comments about this, uh, send me an email, outstanding at WashingtonStand.com. I do love to hear uh, your thoughts, concerns, criticisms, and suggestions for future topics. Quick reminder that new episodes are released every Tuesday and Friday. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you've gotten this so you don't miss a, another one. Been my pleasure. Look forward to next time. My name is Joseph Backholm, and this has been Outstanding. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview.